0: Take your Bibles. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We have a great time tonight. How much owe y'all? Let's do a little something for you (laughs) here. We have a great time tonight. Tonight we're going to talk about he who dies with the most friends wins. You remember a bumper sticker a few years back said he who dies with the most toys wins. Is anybody dumb enough to believe that anymore? I, mean, I don't care how many toys, he who dies with the most toys is dead. You're dead is a rake and your children go fight over your toys and then they go hate each other. So a lot of good that did. It's not he who dies with the most toys wins. It's not he who dies with the most money wins. He who dies with the biggest house or the biggest mouth. That ain't it. The Bible teaches he who dies with the most friends wins and one of them needs to be named Jesus. Can I get a witness? Don't leave, don't leave this earth without him, Doc. I mean, he who dies with the most friends wins. We're going to talk about friendship tonight and your relationship with your friends. And we're going to talk about coming into friendship with people. I love this stuff right here. In Philippians, before I... Now, let me say it again. The book of Philippians is... We've covered this. It's the book of the greatest life possible on this earth. Philippians won't tell you how to get to heaven. It'll tell you how to bring heaven down to earth. And it's the book where believers find the best life possible on the earth. Let me ask, I'm going to point something out here to see what you think about. Abundant life, the great life. And Jesus said, I I came so y'all could have abundant life. I came so you could have a great life. You know what it really boils down to? Relationships. Vertical. If I come into a relationship with Jesus and listen, you can't cut this off horizontal. You know, people say, I'm right with God. I don't care. You ain't got half of it, doc. It's about people, too. Uh, let me ask you a question. If you know theology or history, <clears throat> in the fall of man, what was, what was the two things that were ruined in the fall of man? Everything was perfect. And when man fell, what, his relationship with his creator was cut off. Remember, that broke the relationship. But we forgot what else happened in the fall. Our relationship with people was ruined. People had perfect relationships. And then all of a sudden they were cut off from God. They couldn't talk to Him anymore. But what's the first thing happened right after the fall? This man who had loved his wife got along so good he begins to criticize her and they divide. And within that quick their kids kill each other. It was the fall it didn't just cost us our relationship with God. It cost us our relationship with each other. Is there any problem with relationships in our nation today? Uh, this may ill you off but I'm going to say it. A lot of people want to blame the division and the hatred in our nation right now on that guy with the orange hair. Two years from now, it ain't going to make no difference. It's not him. We're still in trouble. And we were in trouble in relationships. But let me tell you what Jesus came to do. Mark said, Book of Mark says this. Jesus said, I've come to seek and save that which was lost. Well, what was lost? You say, people? No, no. What was lost was the relationship with God. He came to bring that back. What else was lost? Our, our good relationships with people. Jesus came to bring that back too. We keep forget that the cross has got two beams on it, and Jesus not only brought us back and He, he hath brought us unto God, but the Bible also says He has broken down the barrier of, of division between us. In Colossians, Jesus came to bring people back in relationship with each other. We, we forget about that part, and uh, let me tell you what happens. The Father, by His Spirit, let me tell you what the Holy Spirit does. Primarily, He does two things. He works to bring you to the Father. God's working to get you to Himself. Luke chapter 15 said, if a man had a hundred sheep and lost one, what would he do? He'd go after him till he found him. And then he'd lay him on his shoulders rejoicing. He'd bring him home with him. God's working to get you back to yourself. But listen to what else the Holy Spirit's doing. This is what we're going to talk about tonight. The Holy Spirit's trying to get you hooked up with people. He's trying to bring you into great relationships with people. And he wants to bring you to people and uh, draw you into great relationships. Um, before we look at this scripture, does the Spirit of God connect people together? How I many you think the Spirit of God puts people together? Can I ask you a question? Who brought Eve to Adam? And God brought Eve unto Adam and said, she's yours. Y'all be in relationship. Who brought, uh, God told Moses, go save my people. He said, I can't do this. He said, I'll give you somebody to go with you. And Aaron will be your best friend. And Aaron will go with you. Uh, David, of course, the great man of the Bible. And what did God give David? He brought a man into his life named Jonathan, and he said their hearts were knit together by God. And and God not only brings us into relationship with himself, he brings people close to us. Uh, Matter of fact, um, over and over in the scripture, you see where God wants certain people to come together. Acts chapter 13, verse two said, as they ministered to the Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke and said, put together unto me Barnabas and Paul, to do the work I've called them to and yoked them up together. All right, let me show you this in Scripture. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. We'll come back to Philippians. We'll get there directly. Hang on. It's Wednesday night. I don't have to be right on the money. 1 Corinthians 12. How many of you ever heard of church? Y'all ever heard of church? Guess where you are right now. What is the church for you? said that's where you go get beat up, made to feel bad about yourself, and then they charge you for it. A lot of times that is the case. That was not the original design of the church. What's the original design of the church? It's found in 1 Corinthians 12. Watch what the Bible says here. Let's see if God's working here. 1 Corinthians 12, 18. But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body just as He pleased. What does that tell me right there? You ever seen on the back of a truck attend the church of your choice? What does the Bible say? No, God wants you in a certain church. God places the people in the body where He wants them to be. Why is that? Now let's read the why. It's in verse 25 that there should be no division in the body. We're going to, to work on that in a little bit. But that the members should care for one another. Why does God bring you into a relationship with people? So well, can't God take care of me? Yeah, he's going to do it through people. That the members should care for one another. Next verse, verse 26. If one member suffers, what? Everybody suffers with them. Watch this, if one member's blessed or a hundred of good things happen, what are the people in your life for? So you have somebody to be excited with you. So if if you're suffering and you're hurting, that's why it brings people into your life. So you can suffer with them. But if good things are happening to you, I mean if you have a marriage by yourself, you ain't got, I mean, a wedding by yourself, you ain't got much of a wedding. That's why we call our friends. Come around and rejoice with us. What's the purpose of the church according to the Bible? God's going to yoke you with people so they can take care of you. And when you're suffering, you'll have somebody to go through it with. And when you're rejoicing, you have somebody to share life with. He, He puts people together like that. All right, let's do this. Turn back to Philippians with me. And I want to, I want to show you something in Scripture. In Philippians chapter 1. Now this is, a, this is an overlooked part of this passage sometimes, but I, I, I think it's the main thing. You know, he starts out in this thing and says, verse 2, grace and peace from God. So what does that tell you? You want a great life? Get in a relationship with God. But watch how quickly he shifts in verse 3. Read verse 3 with me. I thank my God upon every remembrance of who? of you. I thank God for you. Always in every prayer of mine, praying for you all with joy. I pray for you with such joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. What's he so thankful for? What's the word fellowship mean? What's our word? Friendship. Do you know what he said? I thank God for you. What does it mean? Fellowship in the gospel. You know what he's saying? The only reason me and your friends is because of the gospel. If it hadn't been for the gospel, we'd never met each other. Everybody in this room, everybody that comes to this room, I'd have never known you if it hadn't been for the gospel. Unless you started prison ministry. If I hadn't found the gospel, you'd have to do prison ministry to meet me. You know, hear what he's saying? God brought us together through the gospel. And he's brought us into friendship, fellowship, friendship, same thing. And he said, I am so thankful God's put us together in, in his kingdom. Now watch this. I love this part right here, verse 7. It is right for me to think this of you. Because what does this mean? I have you in my heart. It's not like we're, we have to work together. It's not like we're an acquaintance that goes to the same Moose Lodge. He said, there's something in my heart for you. Verse eight, God is my witness. How greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. What do you hear in that little passage right there? God has put me together with some people and they're in my heart. And at God, before God, I'm telling you, my heart aches for you. God is my witness how greatly I long for you. But now watch this. Is it human love? What does it say in verse 8? Is it human love? It is the affection that comes from Jesus Christ. He said, God listen, this is not a natural thing. God's put something inside of me for you. Listen, He didn't just cause me to love Him. God puts something in people's hearts for certain people and knits them together. And He said, this is something that He put in my heart for people. Uh, do Do you hear this man's heart right here? He's not just saying, I know we attend the same church. What's he saying? You're you're so dear to me and God made it happen. Turn a few pages to the right to 1 Thessalonians. I think it's two books. 1 Thessalonians. All right, now this is another one of his churches. I want you to read this with me. 1 Thessalonians 1. I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 2. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 7. Now watch what he's saying, me and the ministers, to, to you folks right here. We were Verse 7, 1 Thess 2, 7. We were gentle among you as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, so affectionately longing for you. What do you hear right there? Man, you're just, you are so dear to me. We were well pleased, not only to impart the gospel of God, we would have given our lives for you. Watch these words. Because you've become so dear to us. What do you hear right there? God's done something in this man's heart and these people's hearts has caused them to love each other so much. They'd give their lives for each other. This is what church is supposed to be. So the spirit of God knits people's hearts together so closely that said, I'm not like your preacher putting up with your mess. He said, I, I'm like a mother with her child with you. I long for you that much. I've got that kind of affection for you. Turn the page to chapter four in first Thessalonians. Look at this. Now, now, let me say this again. This is not just a folks who get along good. God does this. God calls, God puts, remember, he didn't say I love you with natural. He said, I love you with the affection of Jesus Christ. Christ has put this tenderness in my heart toward you. And you can see this, First Thessalonians 4, 9 says this, concerning brotherly love, not godly love, brotherly love. You have no need that I should write you. You were taught by God to love one another and you do so to all the brethren. Now, listen, you see those words taught by God? That doesn't mean he stood and said, now y'all got to love one another. That's not what it means. Literally, you are caused by God to love each other. And how does that happen? Romans 5, 5 says, the very love of God is put in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And God just, he just puts this in your heart for people. And I believe he yokes certain people with certain people. I can show you that in scripture. But this is a great work of God. And uh, one of the tragedies of not letting the Holy Spirit work in the American church today is we've lost this. I hear of some horrible things going on in churches, the way people treat each other. And I think, how could this be? Then this is church right here, where God causes people not only to love him, but to love each other so much that what do you say? I'd give my life for you. I thank God every time I think about you. I pray for you all the time, because I've met you through the gospel by coming together. Uh, like this. All right, let me show it to you. Turn with me back to Colossians 1, 2, 1, 2. It's it's back there somewhere. Colossians chapter 2, four or five pages back. All right, let let me show you what God wants to do with you and people right here. Here's another picture of it. You see this all through the New Testament where God just did something in people and caused them to knit to each other and care for each other. Colossians chapter 1, excuse me, Colossians 2 verse 1. I want you to know what a great struggle I have for you in the church in Laodicea. You've never seen my face. Watch what he's praying in verse two. That their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. What's he praying for? Them? Not that you know God. I want you to be encouraged and I want God to cause y'all's hearts to be knit together. I want God to put you with somebody. And I want, I want y'all not to just get along and be nice to each other. I want y'all to love each other dearly. I want you to enjoy each other that much. God not only brings people back to himself. God's bring, God brings people to each other. And he draws people to one another. And he knits their hearts uh, together so dearly. We could look. Uh, let me just read you one more. If you, let me just read this to you. Uh, where he mentions this again. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16 says this. Thanks. Well turn that look well, turn with me. You're right there. You're close. Turn back a few pages. Gotta break your Bible in tonight. 2 Corinthians 8. All right, let me show you what the king wants to do for you right here. 2 Corinthians 8 16. Thanks be to God, who puts the same deep care for you into the heart of Titus. What does he do? God wants to put something in your heart. And it's not love, not just love for God. It's a concern for people, a deep concern for people. You hear people say, I, I, I'm trying to love people. That's not what it says. God does this. I thank God who put me together and knit my heart to yours. I've, I've seen this happen over and over. So the spirit of God does this. Right? Listen to what I'm fixing to say from scripture. A believer needs to prioritize his relationships with people and Jesus and people above everything else in his life. Your relationship with people should be the most important thing on this earth. Jesus first. But you should make friendships and relationships your priority above everything else. Now, does our culture do that? Our society prioritizes making money or making a name for yourself or having, you know, different. We got different things that are really important. What does the Bible teach a believer should do above all else? Relationships. Tell me the only two things coming out of this planet. Your relationships with Jesus and your relationship with people that are in Him. That's what's going to last forever. Everything else is going to disappear one day. Your accomplishments, I got news for you. Somebody's going to pass you one day. Your kid's going to spend the money. Yada yada. That young, healthy, good looking hourglass body you got going to look like a Dr. Pepper bottle one day. All this stuff's going to go away. Only friendship lasts forever. Friendship with Jesus. Friendship with people. That's why we should prioritize relationships above everything else. And the The spirit of God wants to take every person that says here and not just bring you to Jesus, but bring you into a group of circles of relationships with people. This is what ought to happen in churches and in uh, around believers. Now, let me tell you something. You're not going to have 50 friends. You're not going to have 20 friends. You might have some acquaintances. If you get out of this planet with three friends, two or three friends, God's been good to you. I mean, you're in ICU and they sit there all night long, friends them kind of friends right there. And God wants to bring people into relationships and it'll be in circles. And I want to show you the circles of relationships that God brings people into. Who's our model for this? Jesus. Look at the model of Jesus' life and how his relationships were set up out in circles. Here's the five circles that were in Jesus' life and, I, and here's what he wants to bring us into. All right, five circles. Number one, um, Jesus had one man in his life that was closer to it than anybody else. It was his dearest friend in all the world. And his name was John. It wasn't Simon. It was John. John was closer to Jesus than anybody else. John was the one that always sat right beside Jesus, leaned on his breast at supper. If if the other apostles, the 12 apostles, if they wanted to ask something, they'd say to John, you go talk to him. You, you They'd notion, you, you ask him. And John was closer to Jesus than anybody else. He was his dearest friend. And uh, one of the pictures you see here is when Jesus was dying on the cross, his mother was there. And Jesus looked at John, his best friend, and he said, behold your mother. Behold your son. And John was the man that he could trust to take his own mother, Mary, into his house and said, from this day forward, she's your mama. Because I'm not going to be here to take care of her anymore. And of course, his daddy died when he was a young man. And in that culture, you're responsible for your parents' well-being when they got older. And so John was the dearest friend he had. And then you move out from there. Jesus had an inner circle of friends. It was made up of three people. And they traveled with him where nobody else could. And of course, that was Peter, James, and John. And you know, the 12 went with him some, but you ever notice how many times in the Bible he'd only take those three with him? He, when he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, he took Peter, James, and John. Uh, Mark chapter 5, when he went to heal the girl who died, her father was a... a Temple uh, leader, and her, she died. And the Bible said he allowed no one to go with him except Peter, James, and John. And they were his inner circle of close friends, and they they were just they had a relationship among the four of them that was very close, and they were dear to each other. And uh, you, well, let, let me back up a little bit here. Uh, let me let me just well let me go and go through. We'll come back again. And then thirdly, Jesus had a, a circle of twelve. And, and they weren't just his minister friends. He didn't just call them to minister. This is what the Bible said. And Jesus called 12 unto himself that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. But he called them not to just be his preachers. He called them to do what? Spend time with him. He called them to be with him. And these 12, of course, they traveled together. They ate together. It was a, this was Jesus uh, what? Small group. Jesus had a small group that he was knit very close to, and they became very dear to him. And uh, one of the uh, and the Bible teaches that he just loved. Excuse me. <laughs> the Bible teaches that he just loved eating with them. He often said, "I, I want to eat so bad with y'all." But that was his circle. And then he had a fourth circle. And I'm gonna put this at about 70 people, plus or minus. I'll show you where I get that number from. Of people, not only that were made up that of that 12. But there were others. He, he had a, a group of three in that circle. These were sort of friends of his in another circle. Uh, three siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And every time he got near their house, he went to eat. Let me show you a picture of, his, of this circle. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Jesus sort of had a group, I think it was about 70 people. And I get that number from the fact that he ordained. And by ordained, I don't mean they had a service. He just prayed for them and sent them out. He sent out 70 to do ministry. And they were sort of a circle of people that were near Him, and He sent them out. But watch this in Luke chapter 8. The Bible said, uh, in Luke chapter 8, verse 1, it came to pass afterward, Jesus went through every city and village, preaching, bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom, and the 12 were with Him, and certain women who'd been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, called Magdalene, out of whom come seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, so was very wealthy, and Susanna, and watch this, many others who provided for him out of their substance or out of their means. So he had a group of people that just were with him. They spent time with him. They, they paid his bills. They supported his ministry. That's what it means. They provided out of his substance. And he had that group around him and he was, he was he, you could call it friends if you want to, It'd be more like close acquaintances. And then of course, what was Jesus? Fifth circle. He had large crowds that he was involved with, and that would be his church because he ministered to hundreds. At times, he ministered to thousands. One time, he spoke to 5,000. I remember another time, he spoke to 4,000 men. How in the world do you speak to 5,000 people without amplifications a mystery? But he had, had those circles. Now, <clears throat> let me tell you something you, you need to sort of pray for and expect the same thing. Everybody needs one person in their life. And obviously, if you're married, it should be your mate. Everybody needs one person in their life that's dearer to them than anybody else. And uh, <clears throat> the way culture's gotten and the way human makeup is, everybody needs one person that you know, they in my corner. They love me just like I am. I don't have to play games with them. I don't have to be perfect. But they put their hand to the plow and they're not going to look back. And they love you just like you are. Everybody needs one person in their lives to, to be that, that dear to. And let me tell you how you know... Uh, this is, a, this is, if you study the relationship between Jesus and his friends, this is the person where you, you, don't, you don't have to hide anything from. You can open your heart to them. And every, God created this heart. He said, well, if I've got God, why do I need people? That's a good question. <clears throat> Listen, to what the Bible said. Confess your faults, your shortcomings, your fears, your problems to God, to one another. And pray for each other that you might find healing. All of us got screwed. All of us got mess on the inside. I was pausing there to see if that was true or not. All of us got junk. You can call it junk, baggage, garbage, whatever you want to call. It. All of us got junk. If you want to get your, you can get your sins forgiven by confessing them to God. 1 John one nine. But if you want to get your heart healed, you got to talk to somebody. 1 John one nine says, confess your sins to God, and you'll be forgiven. But James chapter four says this, confess the junk to somebody else and you'll find healing. You'll find heart healing. And everybody needs somebody they can talk to. I'm not talking about the weather and politics. I'm talking about heart level. And everybody needs somebody to talk to heart level. And then that second circle, everybody needs a group of people. And this can be three or four guys, two or three guy friends, two or three girlfriends. I I think we pretty much need to stick with that boys need to stick with boys. That's why the scripture says as iron sharpens, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the counsel of his friends. And if, you know, if this is two couples, that's great, but it's good to have a little circle that you just, we love to be together. We just enjoy being around each other. And obviously you have to have a lot of commonality with people to do that. And then thirdly, you need to be around a group of friends that can do things. And, you know, that can be a small group couples. It, it don't have to be believers. I, th- I think every believer should have unbelieving friends. I got a lot of unbelieving friends. I, d- I just like unbelievers. Um, I just love them. But you, you need to have a group of people in your life that you can do things with. And I, I'm just going to tell you something we, we were created for a relationship with God. we find relationship with God, something's missing. But we were created for relationship with people. And you need to have a circle of friends and people in your life like that. And that can be a small group, Sunday school class, group of friends you hunt and fish with, or, you know, a group of friends y'all go to Hobby Lobby with girls and spend the money he made last, whatever you do. But you you need to have a circle. And then you need to have a bigger circle that's got some commonality with it. And then everybody needs to be in a church. Listen, I, I... I meet people all the time get hurt in churches, get beat up in churches. I don't understand it, but I want to tell you something. When the, the churches are, churches like sweet tea. When it's good, it's wonderful. When it's bad, it sucks. I ain't nothing. It's just terrible. It's nasty. It'll make you sick, so what it'll do if it's bad. But when it's good, it's like it's what they drink in heaven. And uh, our hearts were just made for relationships. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't care how close you get to God. There is still a place in your heart for people. That sounds strange to some people. Let me ask you a question. Was Adam close to God before sin came in the earth? Then why did God say something wasn't right in his life? Adam walked with God face to face. They, they walked in the garden and talked to each other. And what did God say? It's still not good that this man be alone. I'm going to put somebody in his life. So there's a hole in our heart for God that only He can satisfy. But there's a hole in our heart for somebody else that can only be satisfied. And that's why we, we've got to live with people. You hear once in a while people who get fed up with people. I understand that. David said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove so I could fly away from these folks and be at rest. You ever felt like that? <laughs> well, Delta's got them wings and get you away from them. But... Um, and you meet these people that go off into the Canadian wilderness and disappear for four years and never see another person. You broke. You wore, I mean, I I understand, I understand four hours. Everybody needs, it's good to have some solitude. You know what solitude is? That's when you're alone with God. Isolation's when you're alone with you, and that ain't good. Solitude's when you're alone with God. And everybody needs a little quiet time, a little me time, but not years, not months. People need people in their lives. God designed the human heart like that. And you need those circles in your lives. That's why we need to prioritize relationships. All right, I want to talk to you from Scripture a minute about wonderful relationships. The Bible gives us a lot. The Bible speaks a lot about our relationship with each other. It speaks a lot about my relationship with God, and how to come near. But it talks a lot about me and my friendships. And uh, I want to talk to you a minute about several Bible keys about being about great friendships, how to come into great relationships with people. And uh, <clears throat> Bible keys number one. And I, you know, I've had a lot of people say to me. I just need a friend. I just, I need somebody. And I want you to listen to what the Bible says about this. Now, and this is big number one. <clears throat> to work on relationships, you got to work on yourself first. I knew that'd go over good. Work on yourself first. The, the number one key to having great friendships is found in the book of Proverbs. Turn with me to Proverbs 18. If you want great friendships, look here. Proverbs chapter 18. All right, let me, let me, uh, you're going to see it in scripture, but let me tell you what I've observed in my life, my short life. I've known people that had just the greatest relationships. I mean, you envied the way they got along with their mates. You envied the way they enjoyed their children. You envied their relationships with their ball playing buddies or their, you know, their girlfriends. And you just, you looked at me and said, "They, they know how to deal with people. And then I've met other people, and I swear they should move to Antarctica by themselves. They, they just can't get along with anybody. <clears throat> All right. The Bible teaches us that, that there are some things that have to happen for me to have great friendships and really enjoy them. And here's the first one. Proverbs eighteen twenty four says this. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. You know, that, that's the secret to great relationships. I like the way the old King James Version says it. He who would have a friend must show himself friendly. You know what the key to finding great friends is? Say it. Become one. The key to having great friendships is to become one. The first thing the Bible teaches you and I, if you want to really enjoy life and have great relationships, learn how to do this stuff. If you want a friend, become one. Don't go looking for one. If you'll become one, they'll come looking for you. All right, let me give you from Scripture five traits. And there was, some people, this comes naturally. I think some people are just born with it. Other people have to work at it. Other people have been damaged emotionally and relationally. And, and they have to, oh, you got to overcome it. Listen to me, listen to me. I know if you've been hurt, the best thing to do is put your walls up and just tell everybody to stay away from you. There's just one problem. Them walls that keep the pain out, keep the love out too. I, I was going to get a dog one time for my wife. She's with me. And this lady was there and we got to talking. She's getting a dog. And, and uh, she said something about she, she was married, but she's not married anymore. And I just said, I'll find you, man. She turned on me like Dracula. I mean, the fangs came out. And I thought, man, get, your dog. get your dog. It's not that all men are bad. Really, girls, not all men are bad. My large majority, but not all of them. But you know what happened here? Just in, I see this over and over. She'd been so wounded in a bad relationship, she ain't going to never love anybody again. Keep my defenses up. Well, what's wrong with that? You won't get burned again. That's a pretty pitiful life when you're locked in there all by yourself. Got to take a risk to enjoy life. And uh, church, same way with church. If I had to look for a church, I don't know where I'd go. I'd I'd go to the deaf, dumb, and blind church. At least they can't beat you up over there. I don't think. Couldn't find you. But um, the Bible said you're gonna have. You got to show yourself. I right, here's some traits. Give you five traits from the Bible that teach me and you about. And you got to. you got to work on that. You got to develop it. I made a decision years ago that I don't want to be the world's most famous preacher. I don't want to be rich. I don't want to be. But I. I want friendship. I want real friends. I want relationships. And I I was not a good relationship person when I was young because I was such a, I was just bad. I didn't have any friendships when I was a young man. I mean, nobody could stand to be around me. Bars banned me. That's pretty bad. People told me, don't come back. I just was awful. I didn't have them friendship skills. (laughs) When you meet Jesus, he begins to work in your life. And then you got to work on this stuff. And I decided that friendship is more important than anything on this earth except knowing Jesus. Developing relationships. So I began to study the scriptures. What is it that that brings you into friendship? Here are five traits from scripture that I've seen. You'll see them. Number one is found in verse 24. Let's read it again. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. And there's a friend who what? Sticks closer than a brother. Number one is loyalty. I I want a few people in my life. They're going to love me no matter what I do. They're not going to turn their back on me. If I screw up, they won't drop me. If I need it, they'll be there. If I call you at 2.30 in the morning and I'm my Jeep's stuck in the mud, come get me. If, you know, if my family's going through something, you'll sit there all night with me. A friend's got to be loyal. Listen to what the Bible said. A friend loveth at all times. We all go through times when we're pretty unlovely. But you, you want somebody you've heard of a fair weather friend? We don't need them. We need somebody that loveth at all times. And you want to be loyal to people and uh, over time. Number two, one of the things that Jesus spoke about was authenticity. That's sort of a buzzword today, authenticity. Um, We we live in such a put-on culture right now. Y'all ever heard of Facebook? Facebook is where you take the best five minutes of your life and pretend you live there. Ain't nobody lives there. You don't ever burp or get sick or have a bad hair day. Let me tell you something. You just need to be who you are. As an old black preacher said one time, and I loved him. He said this, if you is who you ain't, then you ain't who you is. Dude, you, just, you need to be authentic. I just Once in a while, I'll meet people and I'm talking to them and I just want to say, now, who's in there? Take plastic you off and let the real you come out. I'm going to love you just like you are. You ever heard of being real? You need to be real with people. He said, so what if they reject me? They, you didn't need them anyway. If you got to pretend to get somebody's affection, they don't like you. They like who you think you are. You're authentic. Number three, this is the easy one. And this is why Jesus, this is why people, this is why men said, let's go die with him. If I get killed being around him, I want to do it. A friend has to care about people. You have to care about people. You can call it compassion or love or concern. Whatever you want to call it. But you have to really care about people. You have to care about what happens to them. One of the, one of the things that's killed friendships in our land is the self-centeredness. That it's all about me. Or we use people. But you got to really care about people. Care about their well-being. Care about their families. And uh, you believe people can tell when you care about them. You believe people can smell it. That is the mark of friendship. I can, I can talk to people and just know <clears throat> they need money. They don't need me, they need my money. But I can tell them people care about me. And a true friend, somebody really cares about somebody. Number four, and this is one of the traits if you want know, great friendships, learn to become an encourager. Great friends know how to encourage, everybody longs for the encouragement. And let me just show you something. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 16. This is one of the great traits. Matter of fact, when Jesus ran most of his crowd off one time, he fed them and he had thousands when he fed them and he turned around and he said to me, he said, all right, the food's not the issue. You've got to make a commitment to me. Time to eat the flesh and drink the blood. And the Bible said most of his followers left him. And he was left with 12. And he turned around and he said to them, this is John 6, he said to them, are you going to leave me too? Are you going to leave me? And listen to what Simon said, where would we go? He said, you have the words of life. He said, when you speak, something happens inside of me. It's the way you talk to me that causes me to want to follow you and be around you. And of course, the 12 stuck with it. And um, <clears throat> let me show you something. Um, this, is the re- this is one of the purposes. Of, you need a real friend for this right here. How many of you believe? We're talking about the Apostle Paul. He wrote half the New Testament. Let me tell you about this little man. He was a small man. <clears throat> This man was carved out of granite, maybe the toughest human being that ever lived. They stoned him one time. They threw rocks at him until he was dead. They thought he was dead. They turned around and left. He stood up and finished his sermon. You just He said, I don't care. Whip me, beat me, cut me off. This guy was made out of granite. But I don't care how John Wayne you are. You got something inside of you that needs to hear good news on occasion. I want you to look at this. First Corinthians 16, <clears throat> verse 17 says this. I am so glad. Now this is Paul writing. I'm so glad about the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Caicus. I have even heard those names right there. Well, nobody. That's not the, the 12 or anything. But these were close friends of his. Well, they supplied what was lacking on your part. Verse 18. They refreshed my spirit and yours. Acknowledge him over and over. Well, not over and over. Several places in the New Testament. You're him talking about men who came and refreshed his spirit. What'd that mean? Spending time with you has charged my batteries. Spending time with you has encouraged me. Spending time with you has caused me to want to get up and go again. Alright, <clears throat> let me put all your relationships in three categories. And you can draw lines on a paper and see if it's in you. Take a piece of paper, put two lines vertical on them, and all of your relationships will fit into one of three categories. You've got relationships that drain you. There's nothing wrong with that. You just can't have them all the time. There are certain people you get around, you talk to them 20 minutes, and you feel like you've been plowing for eight hours. And there's nothing wrong with that. You, you need to pour out on people. But you can't live like that. Then you've got other relationships that are sort of a break-even thing. You know, you're just acquaintances. And then in that third category, you got people that you love to be around them. And they encourage you and they feed you to be around them. You spend time talking to them. <clears throat> you go out to eat with these folks, whether it's two, three, four of you, you go out to eat with them and look down at your watch. It's been three hours. It felt like it was 20 minutes. You just had the best time talking to them. And they refresh. What does the Bible say? He has refreshed my spirit. There was if the spirit of God is in me and the spirit of God is in you, we can refresh each other by just talking to each other and being around each other mates ought to do this for each other and uh <clears throat> you need people you can pour into but you can't live like that but you need people that can pour into you too that means you you need to have some friends that you can say i had about all i can take this week let's mean you go to mall friday well i anywhere i get refreshed i get shot there or let's go bass fishing or, or let's you know let's let's go drink coffee let's go drink coffee is what we'll do you know, whatever but let's, let's go get together and do something. You, you get around these people, they refresh you emotionally. God made you like that. And Paul said, I'm so thankful these guys came to see me. They really encouraged me and refreshed my spirit. Demons, if you're going to be a friend, you've got to learn to be an encourager. I'm going to say something ugly and please forgive me. I'm trying to help you here. I've had folks say, to me, just, nobody wants to be my friend and I want so bad to say, I understand it, Doc. I really understand it. And I'm not being ugly, I'm trying to help you if you're going to spend all your time puking on them and telling them how rotten your life, there's nothing wrong with saying I'm in trouble, pray with me. There's nothing wrong with saying i got some problems sympathize. But to puke on somebody hour after hour after hour before long, you're going to puke them out of the house. Don't say amen to that. And here's the deal. We've got to become encouragers. The people long for a good word and, and the Bible talks about building people let me throw in one more the, the, one of the traits of, of true friendship is fellowship now fellowship is the, bi- the biblical word for it hanging out is the modern word for it but it's, friendship is about being together let me show you something wild turns me to Luke chapter 22 the first time I saw this it just struck me and I thought man look at that right there And this will will be one of the greatest mysteries of my life if I live to be 105. Luke 22. All right, you know where we're at in Luke 22? Jesus is one day before being killed. Actually, two days. He's fixing to be killed. He knows it. He told him it was coming. What do you think's on his mind right before he dies? Watch this. In Luke 22, verse 14, when the hour had come, he sat down with the 12 apostles. He said to have one last supper with them, He said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. What did he say? More than anything else before I die, I would spend one last meal and eat with you. Why would God Almighty have fervent desire to eat with me and spend time with me? Can't you see the heart of God that loves to be around people and loves relationship and loves fellowship? This is always one of the great mysteries to me in this verse that the living God who's fixing to save the world said... For my last meal, I don't want steak or fish. I want you. I want to sit down with you one more time. So that tells you that God has a deep affinity and enjoyment of fellowshipping with people. And fellowship is what we do when we're together. We spend time together. And uh, friendship is about spending time together. uh, I'm so thankful. So thankful that through the years, God is, let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. As I said, I didn't have good friends when I was a young man. I just blew every relationship up. But as I became a believer, and began to walk with God for 40 years now. God has put the greatest men in my life. I mean, these men would lay down there. I mean, men that love me. And I've had the greatest friendships with a few men. They just love me dearly. And, and uh, we've had the greatest times together. I mean, just like they knit our, God knit our hearts together. And you know we weren't alike all the time. We weren't perfect, but we loved each other, had great times together. But through the years, every one of those relationships has sort of died out. Guess why? We didn't fall out with each other. I moved away, and we couldn't spend time together. Those relationships rise and fall on time spent together. You know, my dear, I had a dear friend, J. L. Williams, and he, I didn't move away. He moved away. He took the ultimate trip. He moved on up to glory and. When I'm, I'm going to see him in heaven one day. And I'm going to fuss for a while for leaving me with y'all by myself here. And then we'll renew our friendship and glory. Hope we live near each other. But you, you, you just got to spend time with people. That's what it's obvious. I know we should have a quiet time. But you need to have a loud time with people. When our, our family gets together, you've got to wear hearing. Aid. I mean, You better hear, wear a hearing muff. Because we all talk at the same time. We love to be there. Nobody knows what anybody's saying. But we always enjoy saying it. We just love being together. So, number one, you, you, to work on it, you got to work on yourself. Listen, try it a bit. Number two, and we're going to go quick here. To have good relationships, you have to pursue them. You can't just sit there and wait for them to come to you. You have to pursue relationships. You have to go after them. You know, if you want a date, you got to ask. If you want a friendship, you have got to go after it. One of the, I maybe believe that God pursues relationship. Why would he pursue relationship with me? David asked one of the greatest questions in the Psalms. What is man that you care so much about him? Why, why are you seeking me? Don't you to listen to it. This is so cool. In Revelation chapter three, listen to what the Holy Spirit says. Now listen to this. You're talking about pursuing relationship. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I'm coming to your house. I'm going to knock on your door. If any man will what? Open the door. I will come in and What? Do so anybody know what it says? Old King James says sup. NKJ says dine. Uh, NAS says fellowship. I'll come in and we'll eat together. Demons, the Spirit of God is pursuing a relationship with you. He's, he doesn't come over to your house, knock on the door. Well, I just don't understand that. James chapter four says, do you not know that the Spirit of God that lives in you yearns jealously for you? He wants to go off with you. Now maybe know if you're going to have a relationship, you've got to go after it. You got to work at it. You can't just sit on your behind and hope something good happens. Got to put some legs on them prayers, Doc, or pick up the phone. All right, I met my sweetheart in 1977. <clears throat> I think that's I should... right. No, 79. Met than 79, and uh, we dated for a few months. Then summer break came. All right, I'm in Charlotte. I'm driving a wrecker for the police department, in Charlotte, for you know answering police calls. I got off to work five o'clock. She lived in some place called Alamance County. I'd look it up on a map back then. I'd get off of work at 5 o'clock. I'd get in that Trans Am and drive for two hours to get to Alamance County, get here at 7 o'clock or so. We'd visit for two hours. I'd get in that car, drive back two hours back to Charlotte, get back at 11 o'clock midnight. I'd get up and go to work the next morning, get off at 5 o'clock the next day, get back in that car. I was serious about that woman. I was pursuing her. And uh, I like Ernest T. I was going to woo her with my ways. I was going to get her. But dear ones, let me say two things. But number one, we need to chase God like that. We need to pursue the Lord. And number two, you need to to work on your relationships. Pursue them. You know, ask people, get involved. So what, what if I get rejected? Look up here. You will. Once in a while. It's worth it. It's worth it. You know how many times she told me no before she finally said yes? I asked her out in September. She went in April. The next year. She's permanent now. Number three, you've got to prioritize fellowship. Our lives are so busy, we've cut fellowship out of them. You declutter your life so you can spend time with people. One of the great tragedies, listen, my kids are grown and gone now. I understood this as a young man. I know you're at the busiest time of your life, career-wise, when your kids need you the most. When they're the youngest. But I understood this and we made time for our kids and you know, my line of work would just rip you off time-wise with your family. I understood this, but if I had to do it again, I'd make even more. All right, let me show you something. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10 about uh, prioritizing fellowship. Hebrews chapter 10. I many believe we should go to church? Well, what are you going to say in here? But the problem is why? You know, I used to hear preachers just I hear preachers that are just mean. They just beat on you and fuss at you because you don't do right. And they say, "Do not forsake this. gonna be saved together," like you couldn't miss church for the race. Or heck, I was a preacher here and missed the church for the race in Martinsville one time. But to deal, it's, it's like it's like you're punished. You got to go. It's punishment. It's not punishment. I don't kiss my wife for punishment. I kiss her because it's fun. Right, Hebrews chapter 10 is where that this passage is found. But let's read the whole thing. Hebrews 10, verse 24. Let us think about one another in order to criticize one another and look down our noses at each other is that what we're supposed to think about each other let us think about one another to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together there it is but watch this as is the manner of some but encouraging one another so much the more as you see the day approaching right the Bible tells you don't quit fellowship and come together but what does it say to do it for to encourage each other and to stir up love for each other. How many times have I had couples that drifted apart and uh, they didn't need counseling near as much as they needed a week by themselves at the beach. They go off for a week by themselves, come back and everything's much better. You know what happened? Life started stealing the fellowship out of that friendship because your marriage should be a friendship. Life started stealing the fellowship out of that friendship well, all you got to do is go back and do what got you in there to start with. Somebody say amen. Y'all in love, ain't you? I mean, somebody loves somebody out here. You can't neglect the... Fe- Listen, say, well, I, I got bu- I'm, I'm busy. My work keeps me busy. Your work's going to die one day. That money's going to get spent. Relationships are eternal. We need to work on our relationships, and that means carving out... to. This- our schedules are crazy in this nation. And we're proud of being that way. Somebody asked me not long ago, said, well, what are you doing Monday? I said, nothing. They said, good, you can help me move. I said, you didn't hear what I said. I got something to do Monday. So I thought you said you wasn't doing nothing. That's right. I'm doing it. I'm going to do it in my boat and I'm going to hold a pole, but I'm doing nothing. He said, that's terrible. You wouldn't help somebody move. If you don't carve out and, and get your life in order, you're going to crack up. And we're seeing people fall apart because they don't rest, recreate, and work. you you got to put it in there. And God made us to have relationship with each other. And you got to work that in there. I think modern technology is the greatest enemy of relationships. I think the telephone in our hands have cut us off. <laughs> Once in a while I'll get down there and look, get up I can look up at people and say, Hey, look down here. I'm pretending I'm a telephone so you'll look at me. Y'all better have electronic free dinners at your house. I think televisions robbed us of what granny had, where they'd sit around at night and talk to each other. And grandpa would play the fiddle, and grandma would play her little organ, and people would talk. You've got to prioritize fellowship. Let me throw in one. Listen, simplify your life, and do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And that just don't mean church, that means your sweetheart. I make young couples for our mayor and promise me you'll go out to eat one night a week when the kids get here. By yourselves, face to face. Sitting in the stands watching a ball game it don't count. Go sit by yourselves and face each other once a week. More if you can. Don't, don't forsake that. you got to work at it. Let me throw one more in. Bottom line of relationships, if you're like Jesus, it's all about giving. If you go into with a what's in it for me attitude, you're in trouble. It, this is the crazy, this is the serendipity of the life of Jesus, where he said this, give and it will be given to you. Don't find people that can get you up. So these, these people would be good to associate with because they can get me more business. You don't need more business. Get it yourself. You find a friend, not for what you can get from them, what you can give to them. Find relationships so you can give into them and pour into them. And, uh, this is why Jesus came to earth so that he could. The Bible said, listen, if you want to be great, if you want to really be great, have the kingdom, serve people. Be the servant of all because the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life for many. And we've got to go into friendships with one one thing. What can I do for you? If we would learn to say those words all day long, what can I do for you? And pray those words. What can I do for you? Look at your mate and think about So, What what can I do for you? Bring me some tea. Jiggle your glass. Hope she hits you in the head. You know, these people could, what can I do for you? I want you to learn to walk around like that all the time. God is my witness. I I wake up every day and I think, I'm going to build relationships today with Jesus first. Then I'm going to find people I can work on my relationships with. Those that I've known a long time and hope to find somebody new today. I did it yesterday and I was blessed. I get ready to go. I had to go to the woman's store yesterday. Hobby Lobby. I know you think I hang out over all the time. Well, I went there today too. I go to Hobby Lobby and God is my witness. I'm walking out there. I was walking through the children's thing over there and I just stopped and I said, order my steps. Put the right people. In. I just asked him. say, put the people in front of me today. But right, I go to Hobby Lobby. I'm cruising around in there. Me and 9,000 females. Because they started their Friday thing in there yesterday. And that's dangerous for a man to be in there. And I, I had to get something done. I got it done. And I'm leaving and I'm walking out. i thought, like, well, I didn't see nobody in there today. Right, right as I'm walking out, the doors went like this. And I'm standing right there. And right in front of me, 10 feet in front of me, was one of my little teenage girls. And she's standing there crying. I said, sweetheart, what? I said, come here, what's wrong? And some, she was upset about something that happened. And I said, oh, oh, I said, come here, come here, get out of the float, And I took her hand, brought her to the side of the building. And I said, let's just pray right now. And I prayed with her and and just prayed, had the best time talking to her and and got got that frown turned upside down like it needs to be. And uh, she went on about her business and I went on about mine. I thought, yeah, this is what we live for right here. We don't live to make money. We live to build relationships and you need to pray, order my steps. Put me in front of people instead of, I need a man that'll make me happy. Get you a bus. Dear ones, go out the door. Who can I make happy today? Somebody needs to call me. Call somebody. Take the initiative and say, let me do something for you. And what's going to happen if you give? A man that'll learn to give, have more friends than Carter's got liver pills. If you're young, you'll have to look that up somewhere. All right, do this. People don't realize that it's... Our Heavenly Father came to bring us back to Himself... But the other half is to connect us rightly with people. And you need to pray. Put me in relationship with people. Because you've got to understand something. Jesus not only prayed that we'd come back to God. What was his biggest prayer though in John 17? It wasn't this way. What was his biggest prayer? That they might be one. As we are one. Bring them into relationship. All right, i got three kids and i got in-laws. Some of you got situations like that. All my children love me. I, love, I got great relationships with all three kids. And with a couple of my in-laws, got pretty good relationships with them too. Got great relationships with all of them. I love all of them dearly. But what if all of them loved me, but they despised each other? Some of you have been there. Some of you older folks have been there where your kids, they loved you, but they hated each other. Now, that ain't right. Them you know, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, I, but I hate my brothers and sisters. This ain't right. I'm of you know the father wants you to love him, but he wants his people, his kids to get along with each other. Listen, could you imagine he looks down and we're singing his praises and beating on each other? There's something not right about this picture right here. Now I know that I know that this is a screwed up planet and I know you can, sometimes you just can't make it work. But listen to what the Bible says. As far as is possible with you, be at peace with all men. If you can make it work, you make it work. And uh, we gotta learn to love each other. Let me tell you about our family that we grew up with. The the man was a friend with my dad. The younger brother was a friend with my brother. They were the same age. And the older brother was a friend with me. We were all buddies, we all grew up together. And the man's name was Bill Silver and he had two sons. Had a son named Bobby and a son named Joe. And uh, Bobby's the younger son. He graduated, went to high school where we did. Graduated, went to Davidson College was valedictorian at Davidson. Went to, well, he went to a pale blue school not far from here. And uh, got his medical degree from there. Became one of the outstanding surgeons in Charlotte. And he was a surgeon. Still to this day, he's a surgeon in Charlotte. Brilliant young man. And uh, Joe was the one that was my age. And Joe was a special needs child. Joe was handicapped. And uh, just here he got one of the smartest people that ever lived. And this young man struggled right here. And I never saw that daddy distinguish one bit between those two kids. You never heard him brag on this one above that one. He was just as proud when Bobby graduated from medical school. He was just as proud when Joe finally learned how to tie his shoes at 30 years old. Just as proud of both. That's a father's heart. But you know what I saw between the two of them boys? They always loved each other. And Bobby was never ashamed of Joe, never ashamed to take him anywhere he went. And they were just dear friends. Well, that's the portrait. I always thought them guys, that's the portrait of our family. God loves us no matter where we're at. I don't care if you're Billy Graham or the struggling saint that there ever was. His love is the same for all of his children. But what really thrills the heart of God is when we can love each other and walk in right relationship with each other. And I know what you're thinking. Well, Jesus is easier to get along with i vote for that. But still, the issue is that people would walk in relationship with each other. Final word, make relationships the most important thing in your life. Work at them, prioritize them, and you'll have an abundant life. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I love you. Thank you for your word. We, we talk about our relationship with you and how we're supposed to love you and walk with you and honor you, but you're the one who said "As you've done it to the least of these, my brethren. You did it to me. And I, I pray you'd give us a new understanding from your word that it's not, it's not just the people. I mean, it's not just you. It's the people too. You're the dearest thing in all the world. I, mean, I just look forward every day to hearing your voice and walking with you. I'm not real big on religion, but I love you. And dear Jesus, the people you put in my life, Kyle, since I met you, I thank my God for the people you brought into my life and the fellowship of the gospel. I'd have never known anybody if it weren't for the gospel. I mean, except a few hunting buddies. But I thank you for the people you brought in. Men have loved me. Men have prayed for me and wept over me and cared for me. And and I've just had the dearest relationships with people a lot older than me. And now that I'm old, I got them with teenagers. And you've just blessed the fire out of me with people. And The second greatest thing you ever did for my life is put people in there. And I want to be one of those people that's like that. And I just want to praise you and thank you. Now, Father, thank you. But I want to pray for people out here tonight, people watching tonight online. King David said one time in your word, nobody cares about my soul. Father, nobody should have to say that. He knew you loved him, but he said, no man careth for my soul. I pray everybody out here, every teenager, to the old people, that they'll have somebody in their lives that they know I have got a real friend. So I pray over them tonight. And we're going to do our part. We're going to show ourselves friendly. But I I pray you put a longing in people's hearts tonight to have a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. They're really a dear friend. And I believe you to bring it into their lives. I mean, somebody they can call and tell anything and know they'll be loved. Somebody they just love to be around and it refreshes their spirit to be around them. I trust you. That's one of the, that is the second greatest thing you can give us on this earth is a true friend like that. Plus your friendship. I give you all the praise and glory. Thank you for hearing my prayer tonight. And I praise you for answering this prayer. There's nothing you do better than bring us to yourself and bring us to each other. I give you all the praise and glory in the precious name of Jesus I pray. Amen.